which is the arise and shine for your light has come, and saying that your light has come. And we're going to talk about, we've been talking about, uh, this, is a, this is a prophecy that's specifically addressed to Israel and then through those of us that are grafted in to the rest of us as well. That this is an attitude that I believe that God is calling us to have in this season of arising and shining. These are action words. Arise and shine. Why? Because your light has come. Who is the light? Jesus, you see. So we can arise and shine. We don't have to be not arising and not shining. <laughs> this is getting good, guys. Don't worry. I'm going to read it. Arise and shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises upon you. See, darkness covers the earth, and thick darkness is over the peoples. But the Lord rises upon you, and his glory appears over you. This is a calling to Israel to stand up and be who God, like he's God is saying to them, guys, you're, the glory of the Lord is upon you. And we as followers of Jesus are grafted into this. This is a huge statement. Because he's saying, what is he saying? It, when you, if you look at things the way they just look, there's darkness everywhere. Do you all think there's darkness in our world right now? Have you all seen darkness in people? It's kind of a crazy time. How, is our, how do we respond? We arise and shine for, for your light has come. And we're going to be talking about an aspect of this that, oh my goodness, our candles are going out. Can somebody, well, I guess they're on. They're not shining very well. The one for today is shining good, so I'm going to have to deal with that. Anyway, so that makes that illustration not so great. But, Andy, why don't you come up here? I've got a lot of scripture today, which is great, but Andy reads out loud really well and have a big chunk at first, and I'm going to have him read it because otherwise we'll just stumble through my inability. But I'm going to pray really quick. Father, bless this message that it would be your word and your word only, Lord. Speak through me or in spite of me or however. And Lord, let us hear from you in Jesus' name. Amen. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not that light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And through the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God, children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision, or a husband's will, but born of God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testified concerning him. He cried out, saying, This is the one I spoke about when I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because he was before me. Out of his fullness we have all received grace in place of grace already given. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. 
No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, and in his closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. John 1, verses 1 through 18. So that was a lot, a lot of, um, a lot of heavy statements stated in there. So what we're going to be talking about today is Jesus, the Word became flesh. And what did you, did you hear in the middle of that? He's the light that shined in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Okay? We're talking about these two things together. And we've been talking about your light has come. We're lighting these Advent candles, which is a tradition that goes back, you know, hundreds or I think thousands of years. I'm not 100% sure about that. But it's a church tradition of a way to build anticipation to the coming of Jesus. And, of course, and it's just a light. The candle is the light, okay? Like if we had light bulbs, you could do that too or something like that. But that's the kind of lights they had a long time ago, and so that's what they used. And it's also an interesting time right now that we're falling. This Sunday falls right in the middle of Hanukkah, which is not a feast in the same way as the feast that Marianne and Steve taught us about a couple months ago. But in a similar way, to Advent is also a tradition honoring um, a miraculous event that happened in the kind of what we call like the intertestamental period, where there was the God's activity with Israel and the whole Old Testament and all of that being written down, and then it kind of goes dark for a period of time. And during that time, there's an event that happens, and there's a miraculous, you can read about it if you don't know, where the oil and the, the lights that they lit stayed lit for several days, or eight days, and even though they only had oil for one day. And um, I think that's right. Is that correct? Yeah. And then, um, they're on, and that's what this Hanukkah is to celebrate, is this miracle of what God did as a reestablishment of part of the temple. When, and so that being a, a, a festival of light in the middle of the darkness, you know, and it was already a tradition to celebrate it because it's actually mentioned in one of the Gospels that Jesus went to Jerusalem during the Feast of, you know, you know celebration of the Feast of Lights. So it's uh, this idea of darkness being all around and light shining into it. And then reading this whole chunk of Scripture, which is the very beginning of the book, the, of the Gospel of John 1 to 18, about the Word becoming flesh. And the Greek word that's used for word here, it was also used by philosophers at that time to mean reason this Greek word, or the force that structured the universe. So they're saying the force that structured the universe became flesh. It's a very weird thing to say. The, the Hebrew-minded, the Jewish people would also hear that this is the law or the scripture or wisdom. Like in Proverbs, you hear wisdom being personified. So now you've got two things happening. And, the, and both of these would have been at work at the time because a lot of the people had very Greek-mindedness at the time. You know, they're not all, most of the people around this time couldn't read, so they're not looking and studying themselves. They're just picking things up from everybody else, you know. And in um, the synagogue and everything, they'd be talking about the law, the word, you know, and so they'd be hearing that. But they'd also know the thoughts of the age that this word, this Greek word that was used when this was written also just means the, the reason the universe exists is now become flesh. That's quite a strange thing that gets lost in our, you know, romanticizing of Christmas, you know, and I don't have a problem with romanticizing Christmas necessarily. I also don't have a problem with, like, Santa Claus or anything or Elf or whatever, you know. We do all that. I mean, I like it, but you can also lose the, the importance of what's happening, you know, in it. I'm not saying, like, let's go start a reason for the season sort of campaign. I'm just saying try to think through that, you know. Don't lose it. And so what I want to focus on today is the idea of the Word becoming flesh, Jesus coming into the world, 
what that means, what that shows us. And there's three main things I want to take away from today because this is the kind of thing you could talk about forever. And we're going to talk about it next week. We're going to talk about it through Christmas. We'll talk about it somewhat every Sunday that we ever meet, you know. And we'll talk about it next year, you know. But I want to focus on three specific things that I think God pointed me out this week that I've been kind of pondering all week. And it's kind of three increasing ways to look at this kind of concept. Word becomes flesh. Word becomes flesh. Word becomes... Because what it means is Jesus, God, coming as a man, which is kind of crazy, okay? We'll get into that. So you have to start from that mindset. Don't go, yeah, I get it. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, I get it. It just makes sense to me, you know? Like, no, it's like this is actually a radically crazy idea that God is enacting to bring salvation to the world, okay? So the first way that I think that God was talking that phrase, word becomes flesh, arise and shine okay, is this. Do what you claim. And that is, <laughs> if you claim to live for Jesus, actually do that. You see? I was thinking of that song that we sing that's like, you are worthy of it all. And like, if we were really singing that, we might be like, you are worthy of some of it, and I'm worthy of the rest, or something like, you know, <laughs> like that kind of thing. Because from you come all things, and to you come all things, but, you know, I like to keep my whatever, you know. That's kind of how we'd really, if we were honest, often, you know. And that doesn't mean we shouldn't sing a song like that. Often the songs we're singing are scripturally laying out an ideal that we're speaking over ourselves to live up to in some ways. It's not just about doing better, but it's also about speaking the truth. This is the truth, and we're going to align ourselves with the truth, not, you know, uh, you know, you hear what I'm saying. But the idea of... These action words, the word becoming flesh, in one sense can mean for us, the things I say, I also do. Like how what God said, he did. You see, he's laid this example before us, that as we follow him, what Jesus said, or what God said he would do, he did. It goes all the way back to Genesis. He said he would do this, and he did it. So I'm going to do what I say, okay? It's kind of that thing where you see it... Um, it's become like this weird, I actually, sometimes I don't understand exactly what people are meaning by things. And, uh, I, you know, a couple of years ago when certain tragedies were happening and people were saying that their thoughts and prayers were with people that were going through that, I was like, that's a good thing. I'm glad that's happening. Because as Christian people, the first line of everything should be prayer. We're like thinking about it and then praying for it, you know. But then it became like this weird social thing where people were like making fun of that. Like thoughts and prayers meant nothing or it was stupid or, you know. And I was like, wait, what? Because <laughs> it was like Christian people saying like, oh, yeah, you're just going to do thoughts and prayers. And I was like, well, that's not the only thing you can. I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, why does that have to be the only thing that we're doing? You know? and, uh, but why are you acting like that doing that is not a good idea or it doesn't matter in any way? So... Maybe I'm the only person who was bothered in this strange way, but I was thinking that, like, as Christian people, everything we should do should start with thoughts and prayers. But I, it reminded me of, like, we did a, we interacted with, like, Lou Engle and his people that were praying in these different places where their whole ministry was focused on prayer. They felt this one time they were doing some prayer stuff that was specific to the country and um, some of the bad things that America has done in the past, and the one that stuck to them was the trail of tears. They're like, this is a horrible thing that we have done as, a, as the United States, and as Americans, we need to repent for this. 
So they were repenting for it, as you would do. And then he said that we realized we needed to put feet to our prayers. And so what they literally did is they walked, I think, from Alabama to um, Oklahoma, maybe? wherever They walked the entire Trail of Tears as a prayer walk, and they did all these amazing things on it. But that phrase, when I was thinking about this, of putting feet to your prayers, their thoughts and prayers are essential to our faith. So don't, if anyone's making fun of you for that, you know, don't listen to them because they're just wrong. But if you're using that as a cop-out to actually do nothing, like, yeah, my thoughts and prayers are with this, but I'm not going to actually think or pray about it. But I can post this, and then therefore I'll look like I do. Okay, done. That's, that's bad. And I think that's actually what people are criticizing, you know, if they want. But so thoughts and prayers, absolutely necessary, but also putting feet to our prayers when necessary. Okay, guys? Doing what we say. But I also hear in this whole thing, this calling of, <laughs> it's, it's a weird thing to say, arise and shine for your light has come. It's like saying you're not arise, you're not shining, you're embarrassed, maybe you're even feeling criticized, maybe you're feeling put down. He's like, no, arise and shine. Your light has come. And it immediately my mind went to when Jesus, and I, I reference this a lot. I don't know why this story always sticks out to me, but when Jesus is passing through, I think from Jericho to Jerusalem, I think, I, I can't remember exactly, but there's the blind man who hears Jesus is there and he calls out to him. Hey, whoa, whoa, hey, help, help, a, help a brother out, you know what I mean? And everybody's like, quiet, dude, like, don't bother him. Shut up, this kind of thing. You know, you're, you're, you're blind, which, is, you know, in our culture means you probably did something wrong. I mean, like, we, we look down on you. You're poor. We don't have anything to, you know, stop. But then Jesus, Jesus says, have that guy come over here. And they turn to him and say, hey, he's calling for you. And I think that emotional moment right there is literally this. Arise and shine because your light has come, you know. All of this stuff that's, blo- that's ruining your life, Arise and shine because Jesus is here. It's different now. Okay? And that's where I get to the second point that I wanted to make, which is about actually believing that our thoughts and prayers, for example, or our prayers, not our thoughts. Okay, let me make that very clear. People online, I'm talking about prayers right now, or interaction with Jesus. Okay. To believe that our prayers actually do something. Okay? Or that the Holy Spirit can actually break in and change things. And you have to see this in the Christmas story. We're in darkness. We're in darkness. We have prophecies that say some stuff's going to happen, but it's not happening right now. And we're in darkness. And as I look at the circumstances around me, they're not looking that great to see that darkness end. Or I don't know, you know. Sounds kind of familiar to the way I look at things sometimes. Or, you know, whatever. You get what I mean. And then all of a sudden, in an unexpected way, Here's the Messiah, the King. And all these prophecies start to roll out, you know. And it's not even immediately obvious to everybody. You know, he read in the scripture that, you know, he came and they rejected him. Like, people didn't just get it. When God's moving, don't assume that you're always just going to get it, okay? You got to be paying attention. But the idea that when you pray, that God could actually touch something and do something that changes it. This was the challenge God spoke to me and <laughs> came. So now we're back to the computer that was streaming the service. It didn't work last week. So I was like, I'm going to fix this. It has a virus. It has a virus, and we were going to get that virus out of this computer. So after fiddling around with it for a long time, it didn't have a virus. What it had was um, Windows was trying to update itself, and it got stuck or something, and it was corrupted. So... 
y'all are going to have to come grips with the fact that when Jeff was the pastor here, y'all had like a cool jock that was the pastor. Now you got a nerd. So y'all are going to have to either come to terms with that or something. So anyway, so I was working on the computer and I was getting angry because the kind of things you do to fix a virus are a list of things that aren't the same things you do to fix Windows, which is basically reinstall it, okay, in the most aggressive way, which is actually the solution that, was take, that took place. Again, nerd stuff. So in the middle of virus world, I was mad because everything we were doing wasn't working. Again, we were doing the wrong problem. So I was just in the middle of it frustrated. I was like, I laid my hand on that computer. I was like, Jesus, I pray that you touch this computer and just fix this stinking thing. I don't have time to deal with this anyway, you know. And I felt immediately my brain was like, you don't think that's going to do anything. And I was like, shut up, brain. Nobody asked you. <laughs> but I was like, dang it, he's right. <laughs> I don't. And so I found myself going, why don't I believe that this would do anything? Jesus is healing a blind guy. Why would I think he can't fix windows, you know? But I didn't. I was sitting back in that, and I was like, I don't think he's going to do anything. I'm just mad, you know? And I felt like this is literally when the Lord was like, words become flesh. And I was like, he's like, you and I believe the greater you, which would be us, are stuck. We're cool with Jesus being imaginary friend Jesus. That, you know, it's personal. You can believe what you want to believe. I'll believe what I want to believe. Jesus is cool. He makes me feel better about myself or something like that. Which, that's not how this works, okay? First off, one, you know, if God is God, he's God, and we come in, again, like the songs, we come into alignment with that. You don't get to just make up whatever you want and decide that works. That's paganism or whatever. It's not Christianity. Like, Jesus is a man right now, okay? Keep this in mind. So, but I'm sitting there going, why, why can't, you know, why, so, okay, to get back to the point, I really felt the Lord was saying to me, is we're comfortable with imaginary friend Jesus. We're comfortable with beliefs where it's like, oh, yeah. And God does work this way. Okay, so the, what I'm about to say, but I want you to make sure that what I felt the Lord was saying to me is you've limited it to just this kind of thing. Like Brian is, or you are, in difficult situation. And through praying before God, now Brian's attitude has changed, and therefore that's healing. Okay. Now, that's absolutely on the table for what God does. That's kind of, in a lot of ways, a lot of what God does. But that's not only what God does. And God was saying to me, he's like, look, you don't believe that I could heal the computer because you just don't believe it, you know. And I was like, yeah, the problem's not on your end, God. The problem's on my end, you know. And the thing that makes it difficult is because, like Jesus says, literally, to his followers, ask anything in my name and it will happen or it can happen. And the thing about that is, Listen to me, young people, that's true. And that doesn't just mean like, all right, because immediately like, all right, God, I'd like a million dollars. And God's like, no. Like, and so like, it's actually in James, this is also true. He says, when you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So that cuts out most of what I'm talking about. But there's also times when we ask God for things that aren't for our pleasures, they're the most desperate needs that we've ever had. We talk about this stuff a lot. And God still doesn't give it to us the way we want. That is when faith comes in. And faith specifically about the next point that I'm going to make. But I saw this quote by E. Stanley Jones this week. He said, I shall go into everything today with a faith that everything can be changed. For God wills it. So I'm going to stop right now and pray 
that God would break off from our minds, like my mind telling me, you don't believe this, this computer's going to get fixed. You just did that. I don't know why, you know. And uh, that we would be able to see the extent of what God could do, the mountains to the sea, the mustard seed stuff. So, Father, I pray for great faith in this fellowship of believers. Anybody listening to this, anybody connected to us at all, Lord, I pray for a breaking in. That you would give us the spiritual gift of faith to believe that you can actually touch our world and change our world and take up and take your coming as a sign of that, Lord, and forgive us that we doubt you so much and make you an imaginary friend. Help us to know who you really are and what you're really like and come to and that we would come into alignment with that in Jesus name. The third point is the most important one I think for today. And that um and that is this that um in the light of Christmas, the Advent we're talking about, is that the breaking in, like we said, of the Holy Spirit changing something, actually changing something, not just you've changed your opinion, but actually changing something. Like a blind person can see now. That's actually changing something. This is the kind of stuff Jesus did, okay? It's the kind of stuff he calls us to do. And that seeing that he came 2,000 years ago, broke into the real world and became a man and brought through his actions and death on the cross and resurrection salvation to the rest of us. So we don't have to worry about the darkness anymore. That's the condition we're in if we're following him, okay? (laughs) That through that, we can have the faith that when he does come again, that he is coming again. It's not just an imaginary thing like, yeah, I know, people talk about it, but I don't really care or know much about this. It's like, no, Jesus is going to come back and fix everything, recreate everything. And there's a gap of time here that's mercy so that all aren't destroyed by the wrath of God, okay? Because when God comes in and removes evil, the people that are holding on to evil experience God's coming in a very different way. The mercy Jesus is offering us, it's, it's, you see what I'm saying? He's giving us a way out if you follow him because he can't, his justice, we, we can't stand evil. You know, when you see something wrong happen and it makes you upset, that's kind of connected to how God is. He just feels it nine billion times. And he hates what the enemy is doing to destroy his world and he's going to remove it. But he's given us a gap of time here to, to, to trust in him and become his followers. But anyway, I want to... I don't want to get too distracted about that. But our faith in his first coming gives us faith for the second. That's what the whole Advent thing was about. That's why they started doing it. It wasn't really just to go, well, yeah, Christmas. It was like, yeah, Christmas and there's going to be another one, you see. And so, but I want us to just think really quickly today to ponder the nature of what Jesus coming, okay? And I know I spoke a little bit about this two weeks ago. I just think it's very important. The nature of Jesus coming and the cost that it might have given to him. And I know this is a strange word to say, cost. I'm going to read this to you, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. You've heard this about Jesus who being in very nature God, in very nature, okay? That means he is God, very nature God. He can't be anything but be God. Jesus is God, get it, okay? Very nature God did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Now, would we do that? Like that movie, what was it, Bruce Almighty? I think that's exactly what he does the first thing. When he becomes God in the movie, it's a parable or something, you know. He immediately does everything to his own advantage. (laughs) 
But Jesus did not consider equality with God something to be used for his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow and in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledges that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now that's a very heavy thing to think about. The Bible, God knew from the very beginning the cost of creation. Jesus knew, it says, Behold the Lamb of God slain before the foundations of the earth. God knew what it would cost him to love us the whole time. And he said, it's worth it. And I could quote to you verse after verse that would tell you this. But I think I need to illustrate this in a very important and simple way. And kids, I want you to listen to this. Because when you see this very nature God, but taking on Jesus, like see, when Jesus became a man, he was born God became a human body, born, fully God, fully man. And he was suffered the whole life and was killed on the cross and then resurrected, overcoming all of the sin and evil. He's, he won, okay? He didn't dematerialize back into being God again. Jesus has flesh right now. And he will forever. Now, I want you to just think about that when you think about Christmas. And what came to me about this is actually from the movie Aladdin, which I'm sure all of you guys have seen. The movie Aladdin, they talk about um, the genie, which Jesus, let me be very, very clear, that uh, Jesus is not a genie, okay? He never has, he's, he's not, like, we made this very clear about praying things, you know, you don't get wishes, Okay? We're using this as an illustration, but kids, you should be able to understand this because the plot of the movie involves a very significant, um, the very significant plot of the movie is that the genie is trapped. He describes himself as having phenomenal cosmic power, but an itty-bitty living space. And the whole side or the whole it's like, it's like tied into the main plot is that Aladdin is saying hey look if you help me out I'm going to use my last wish again we don't believe in wishes they don't exist but I'm going to use my last wish to set you free so you don't have to experience that anymore and even at the end of the movie they trick the bad guy into becoming a genie so that he's trapped in being a itty bitty living space for the rest of whatever and it's represented by those those you know wristband things or whatever, and you see them fall off. And what I want to say about that is this. Kids, I chose this illustration so you could understand it, okay? Is that Jesus, essentially, metaphorically, Jesus is not bound. Jesus is the victor. But for your sake, he chose the itty-bitty living space forever because he loves you. Enemy doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. So don't hear that. Jesus did it because he loves you and you're worth it to him. 
and he has all the cosmic power. He chose to do it. The Bible says it. Nobody takes my life from me. I willingly lay it down. And he said, it's worth it. And he chose for all eternity phenomenal cosmic power to be held in an itty-bitty living space. And every single one of us in this room can understand that. And Jesus' humble coming can give us confidence to be humble as well as his followers. And we should be willing to. He talks about trying to save our life. We're going to lose it. If we lose our life, we'll find it. But Jesus' coming, the way he did, was shocking. I'm going to quote here from a theologian, Craig Keener. I read this in his book that at the time, this is his commentary on the scripture we just read from John 1, neither Greek philosophers or Jewish teachers could conceive of a word becoming flesh. Since the time of Plato, Greek philosophers had emphasized that the ideal was, was that which was invisible and eternal, meaning this is not how Christians believe, but they would think that like there's a spiritual world, and that's, that's where it's at. And this material stuff is some kind of junk version of it, and we're separated, blah, blah, blah. That's not what we believe. Some Christians think they believe that. They shouldn't. That's not what the Bible teaches. But Greek-minded people were like, the idea of that becoming this is not compatible to the way we think. Philosophers, so, they, so the Greek people were out. And he said, at the time, most Jews so heavily emphasized that a human being could not become God that they never considered that God might become human. See, they're going to say, like, don't, don't think this emperor is God. Or this other person who's saying, look, I'm a God. They're like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're never, you know. But salvation required godlike activity by a human. What God had intended from the beginning. And it missed most people, according to this, and I think he's probably right. No one thought that God might just do it. Why? Because he loves us. And I think, I mean, I remember I, we talked about this a couple of years ago, and I showed the clip, and you should just go watch the whole movie of Field of Dreams at the very end, which I'll kind of blow a little bit for you, where the doctor who's longing to be a rookie again in the major, it's a complicated movie, you've <laughs> never seen it, but he gets a chance in this post-mortem thing that's happening to be a rookie again. But he'd lived you know, a full life. He had died as a doctor. But in the scene, the girl falls and she needs a doctor's help. And he runs, this young man runs to the edge of the, of the field. And he knows, if I step across this, I can help that girl. But I'm an old man again and I can't play baseball in this weird heaven baseball thing that's happening, which you have to watch the movie to understand. And, um, and he chooses to become an old man and he saves the girl. And I see in that um, the action of God, that his love is words becoming flesh. It's not just talk. It's action, and it means something, and he feels something for you, and he felt something when he came and when he died on the cross. All of it is flesh. But it's something that God does when we see in Christmas, this is Jesus, this is God acting here. And because of how God acts, we, as imitators of Christ, act in the, try to act in accordance. But Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote about, now the dude, is, like, hear this. The dude is in prison for standing against Hitler in Germany at, like, the beginning of World War II. 
and was even involved in like maybe an assassination plot, but he was speaking out publicly against, you know, the Holocaust and all these kind of things. So this is not like some sort of wimpy dude, okay? He's, he got arrested for it and murdered, and they killed him for it, the Gestapo and all that whole bit, all right? But he was in prison for a long time, and he was still doing his work, kind of just like Paul in a lot of ways. But I don't want you to hear this and some people are like, oh, he's promoting an action. Because he's not, okay? Dude is sitting in prison about to be, about to be killed for trying to stop Hitler, all right? So you can, that's pretty much like 20th century, you know, that's the best thing you could be doing is trying to stop Hitler, right? He wrote this, Advent, he compared Advent to a prison cell, okay? He said, in which one waits and hopes and does various unessential things, but is completely dependent on the fact that the door of freedom has to be opened from the outside. That this is this freedom, this salvation that Jesus is offering us is like in the Aladdin movie that J- Jesus saying, I'll be the genie. You can be free. Okay? It's like that. It's not 100% like that, but it's like that emotionally, if you can understand. And that should <laughs> help us understanding um, what Jesus is like. We can so freely worship him because he's so good, not just because he's powerful, phenomenal cosmic power. You've got to worship that. But he also is good, <laughs> and he loves us. Come on up, Kayla. I'm going to read you this in closing. Actually, I'm going to read you two things in closing. Hebrews 12, 28 through 29. We can follow Jesus anywhere and do anything with him because of his leadership and what he's given us. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and all, for our God is a consuming fire. And then I'm also going to read this one last thing in closing. I saw this morning, it was a prayer that somebody shared because of this Advent. There's Christians all over the world celebrating this Advent just like us, waiting the day we've chosen to mark the celebration of Jesus' birth into our world. And these candles, they're, they're just candles, and they have meaning that we've given them, and not even all the church traditions agree. So it's kind of, you know, you know, if you're asking why that one is pink, which this was me, like, why is there one pink one? It's actually a Catholic thing that goes way far back, you know. I think Orthodox people use blue candles. Lutheran people use red candles. I think there's, it doesn't really matter. But the candle today, this pink candle of joy, this is a prayer somebody shared online in conjunction with that. So I'm going to pray this, and then we'll sing something. So Jesus, thank you for becoming Emmanuel, God with us. It's because of you that I can experience true joy. I admit that it can sometimes feel hard to be joyful in the middle of a busy or difficult holiday season. But when the cares of my heart are many, your comfort gives me renewed hope and cheer. Today, I choose to take refuge in you and rejoice. I will sing for joy because you are my strength and my salvation. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. And because of your humble arrival 2,000 years ago, I am now able to experience the joy of your presence forever. Thank you. You are always worthy of all glory, honor, and power. So no matter what I face, I will choose to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.